When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and this is Stranger Than. It's been some time since we've uh, put out an episode. It's been a hell of a 2022 so far. Oh my gosh, just... Kind of started off with a bang, or rather with the plague. I mean, yeah. First, your computer takes a huge shit and uh, takes forever to get the new hard drive. And then once that arrives, then we were both struck down by the plague. Yep. Uh, we are many states away and still right around the same time. We both got riddled with the coronavirus. You know, I feel like I almost like I lost somehow, like... I mean, I've worked at clinics and hospitals since the pandemic started and never got it. And then finally I was struck down and it was just like, oh, you lose. You lost. Yeah. You got the plague. It was it was. Disappointing. <laughs> yes. Like, God damn it. <laughs> I was but... finally struck down by the Rona because I was just like, oh, you know, I mean, imagine if this were something with a much higher uh, kill rate than it, it currently has. I mean, it, not to, you know, make light discount of the it, fact yeah. that, yeah, not to discount the fact that it is a, a deadly virus, but I mean, I'm like, damn, I lost. Like, if this were like bubonic plague, they'd be throwing me in a mass grave right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just fortunate that uh, when we both did get sick, it was with such a less dangerous strain than yes. or a dangerous variant than some of the other ones have been. And then also being vaccinated makes it so that you're less likely to have any sort of hospitalization. And then we're also lucky enough to live in America where, uh, you know, despite a lot of the bullshit, you know, if you're willing to get help, you can get help fairly easily. So, yes, although very I mean. Fortunate. Yeah, it it is strained, though, I will tell you. Like, so many hospital workers out sick right now. Uh, there's beds available, but they have to be blocked out and unstaffed because there's not enough staff to provide care for people. And when you think about that, um, as far as tons of people coming in, it's not just COVID. It's, I mean, people have it. We're having to turn away people having heart attacks people having strokes people Broken with head legs, injuries fucking yeah. shit like that yeah because there's not uh there's not enough beds and there's not enough staff to care for people so it it really does have a far reaching effect that um yeah i don't want to be i'm not the type of person to tell anybody what to do uh uh with their body i i i firmly believe in my body my choice in all aspects, <laughs> not just when it comes to a vaccine, but in all aspects. But I, you know, I got to say, I, I was glad I was vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I got it, because it's a real sickness. Yeah. And it's a real it, sickness. And it can be dangerous. It can and be. So. so 
act appropriately for, you know, the danger of the virus. Mm-hmm. And now, now I've uh, been boosted, and so hopefully with my, you know, my sickness and with the booster, I'm now, like, you know, mega immune. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> until the next one comes around. Right, until the next variant uh, or mutation co- comes along, but... But yeah, it was a miserable couple of weeks. Yeah, I was uh, not overly pleased. I have the uh, fortune of being able to work remotely, so I didn't really... I I only took one day off work. Every Mm -hmm. other day I was in in the studio working, and it wasn't wonderful, and I was tired and felt like shit, but it's better than a lot of people have it where, you know, they can't... they can't work. They're just, they don't have the ability to do so. So could have been, it could have been much worse. And uh, I'm thankful for the position, you know, that I'm in and that, uh, you know, you are in where we're not, you know, fucked since Jump Street for the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. I missed seven days of work on, you know, 10 days out, 10 days total and seven work days. And I'm, lucky that my work uh, has a separate um fund for that so even though i didn't have seven days of accrued sick time it was still all paid for yeah that's that's very lucky very fortunate but yeah i mean it's something something to think about if you are out sick for a large number of days like i mean it, it has an impact that could have really impacted me financially too like oh, if yeah. i didn't have that if they didn't have that policy in effect, but yeah, it's it, yeah. If you, can't, if you can't work and you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's uh, it's a big deal, that's and that's a real big deal. Ba- <laughs> that's basically where I am, paycheck yep. to paycheck. Yep. You know, I'm just on the verge of financial ruin, month to month. One little setback, and and that could have been it, but fortunate, but fortunately, it wasn't. And it's it's good to be back recording again. Like I definitely, yeah, it's been I, quite a break. Uh, it has missed uh getting to to talk to you lovely folks and you guys will uh you know get a real after you hear this you'll already have a surge of episodes that will have just dropped in the next uh you know little while here so for you it'll be like a big break and then a whole bunch of stuff so you know there you go uh well what do you have to talk to us about today joanna well i am doing a uh my continued uh, coverage of the Bridgewater Triangle. So on this episode, I am going to specifically be talking about UFO sightings in that area. And no, we're not talking about puck wedgies again. Which no, is we're not talking about puck wedgies again. Little, I mean, they're super sad. cute. I, yeah, I'm a, I'm they're very cute little fan. guys. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, today today it's going to be UFOs. UFOs. Well, uh, I have three articles I'll be reading. Uh, one is about dinosaur sex. Oh. One is about ape war. And one is about some weird shit they found in the sky. All right. So why don't I uh, give us a start with uh, some dinosaur sex? How- I know. I, I'm super eager to hear all about this. Well, this is an article from Popular Science, popsci.com. This fossilized butthole gives us a rare window into dinosaur sex. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The cloaca is the holy... 
spelled H-O-L-E hyphen Y, grail, to understanding prehistoric copulation. Well, isn't that kind of like with like birds and stuff? So they just have like one hole for yeah, everything. Yeah. Like, like, ew. They got the end hole and the out hole. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Dinosaur fossils can be, for lack of a better term, rather bare bones, particularly in their delicate, easily destroyed nether regions, which can fall prey to the ravages of scavengers or an explosive release of postmortem gas. But after working with a dinosaur specimen from Senckenberg Natural History Museum in Germany, Jacob Vinther, a paleontologist at University of Bristol, returned and realized that its private parts were unusually well-preserved. Quote, I was thinking, I wonder if anybody has ever found a dinosaur cloaca before, unquote, he recalls. A cloaca, for those who aren't familiar, is an opening common to non-mammalian and a few mammalian vertebrates that operates as a sort of one-size-fits-all funnel for sex, pooping, urination, and reproduction. In a study published yesterday in the journal I love the look on your face right now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a fan of the cloaca, apparently. It is not. It's just you. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe. Gross. Uh, <laughs> in a study published yesterday in the journal Current Biology, Vinther and his colleagues, paleoartist Robert Nichols and University of Massachusetts Amherst biologist Diane A. Kelly, were able to three-dimensionally reconstruct and describe what Vinther says is the only non-avian dinosaur cloaca known to be preserved. Though it's described this way, a cloaca is more than just a butthole, says Vinther. It's this, <laughs> quote, it's the Swiss army knife of back ends, unquote. Oh, God. <laughs> He's so excited about it. I love it. I love his enthusiasm. Uh, hey, man. Who doesn't want a Swiss Army ass? For help with their description, Vinther says, the study authors looked to the wide-ranging cloaca of land-dwelling vertebrates. Some, such as those belonging to turtles, look like a wizened, puckered grin. God. <laughs> the cloaca of birds, our present-day dinosaurs, look kind of like a cyst that needs to be popped. Oh, yeah. Vinther explains. <laughs> While the cloaca of a crocodile are covered in distinct scales, forming a sort of raised lobe with a slit in the middle. Ew. The dinosaur owner of this particular cloaca is an approximately 120 million year old Cytocosaurus, hailing from what is now the Leoning province in northeastern China. About the size of a Labrador, the Cytocosaurus was surprisingly cute for a dinosaur, Vinther says with scaly skin and horns on either side of its flat, E.T.-like face. The dinosaur's cloaca appeared to have a distinct color, which could have been used to signal for mates, as is sometimes the case for birds. It has, <laughs> it has a set of lips that join in a V-shape <laughs> around, bean, around a bean-like dorsal lobe and contains what appears to be coprolite, also known as fossilized poop. Although, although the animal did not necessarily experience a dramatic mid-bowel movement death, Vinther says it, it could have emerged afterwards. Nice. There are some similarities to the crocodile cloaca, co-author Diane Kelly, an expert in the evolution of copulary systems, told the New York Times. 
and the study suggests that, like the crocodile, this dinosaur cloaca may have housed glands responsible for spewing out mate-attracting scents. Quote, The shape and color of the tissue that's preserved suggests that these animals may have used both odor and visual signals to interact with other members of their species, unquote, Kelly said in an email. We're only talking about one set of fossilized dinosaur privates, privates, which limits the scope of any mate signaling takeaways, the study explains. But, though Vinther notes that the revelations aren't going to cure cancer or prevent totalitarian people from entering the political system, they do add a little piece of the puzzle of what life used to look like, of what life used to look like, which helps us understand why the living world looks the way it does today. Perhaps, Vinther says, there was a glorious past where dinosaurs were strutting around and showing their cloacas off. One can only hope. I think it's uh, really interesting how this <laughs> there's actually a field where uh, you know where you can be an expert in the evolution of copulary. Yeah. What couplings or whatever? You copulary know. systems. It's it's copulary basically systems. like junk evolution. Like <laughs> the evolution know, of copulary systems. The evolution of crotches. It's <laughs> it's oh, it's wild. That's it's 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 amazing. I I'm sorry that it took me so long to to find it. This particular article came out almost exactly a year ago. It was yes. uh, it was on. January 20th of 2021. Wow. Well, I, so, I feel like I, I learned more than I wanted to know about dinosaur holes or the hole. I've never said the word cloaca so many times in my entire life. Oh, and it's I just hope a I gross word, too. I don't know. I don't like it, and I don't like what it represents. Yeah, you know I'm going to say about, talk about a moist cloaca, you know. Oh, god damn it. Yeah, that's what you get. That's what you get. Fucking ass. Jeez. Well, how about you tell us something about your uh, little Bridgewater Triangle there? Yes, this is all about UFOs. Uh, no cloacas involved. But they might actually probe a hole. Aww. So, I mean, Good. perhaps not a cloaca unless they, you know, <laughs> snag a bird, but... Or maybe the aliens themselves are sporting some cloacas. Maybe, maybe. One can only hope. <laughs> well, as I touched on briefly in the last episode, the Bridgewater Triangle is an area of southeastern Massachusetts where just all sorts of crazy shit goes on. Cryptids, um, like ghosts, the Puckwudgie, the Puckwudgies, yeah, those those cute little cryptids. There's also been Bigfoot sightings and uh, giant birds, pterodactyls. Maybe with a cloaca. Probably with a cloaca, yeah. I mean probably with a great big cloaca. I hope yeah. it's a it's a nice looking one and not all <laughs> I hope the coloring like is nice. <laughs> yeah, because some of those cloaca sound pretty buckled and I mean no one wants a buckled cloaca. Like the cyst that it looks like it needs to be popped. Like that's disgusting. That's absolutely disgusting. I think it's just so gross that it's just like 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 poop out of the same hole what you're supposed to like do everything else with yeah yeah well you know like the poop should have a separate hole <laughs> yeah not All right. everyone thinks that lots of people uh 
yearn for the poop hole. So. <laughs> well, to each their own. True. So as I was saying, yes, cryptids, uh, ghosts, all, all sorts of strange paranormal activity seems to kind of center in this one area of Massachusetts. And this episode, I'm going to talk specifically about some of the UFO sightings that have occurred there. Now, Boston, which is actually not part of the Bridgewater Triangle, but that is claimed to be the place of America's first UFO sighting all the way back. Yeah, all the way back in 1639. Yowza! When Puritan John Winthrop, who was the um, the you know Boston, Massachusetts colony um, co-founder, he uh, wrote that uh, three of his fellow colonists had seen something pretty pretty crazy. While rowing in the muddy river in the Fens, they witnessed a great light three yards square speeding back and forth between them and Charlestown as swift as an arrow. In quotes. Wow. Yeah. So And if you can't crazy... trust a Puritan, who can you trust? Right, <laughs> you know. And so of course, obviously, way back then, I mean, you can't be like, hey, it was a satellite, it was a weather balloon. Because yeah, we weren't even I mean, sixteen thirty nine folks. Not a lot of satellites they're, they're weather seeing, balloons. like crazy crazy unexplained uh lights speeding back and forth swift as an arrow and that's pretty swift yes arrows were fast now the next uh encounter i have this actually does occur within the bridgewater triangle and this is 1908 when two undertakers on their way from west bridgewater to bridgewater said they saw in the sky what looked like a giant lantern, and it hovered there for nearly 40 minutes. And 1908, so again, yeah, no other, uh, you know, technology. Could, yeah, yeah. Giant I mean, it lantern. Been swamp gas. It can be, because a lot of the Bridgewater <laughs> Triangle, actually, uh, there is a large uh, swamp in... Um, a lot of that area encompasses a large swamp called the um, Hokomoki Swamp, I think. And yeah, there's some pretty crazy shit that happens in the swamp, and I will get into that in future episodes. I got a whole lineup of stuff going on out there. <laughs> All right, well, carry on. But uh, but yeah, I mean, could have been swamp gas, but it's interesting that they use the word hovered for forty minutes. For forty that's minutes. Some time. I mean that's 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 an awfully long time for swamp gas to just be gas sitting and there, swampily yeah, or whatever it mm-hmm. does. I don't think I've actually seen what swamp gas looks like. But, no, I've just heard the stories um, about how yeah. UFOs are comprised mainly of swamp gas. Yeah, that, that's one thing people come up with a lot. Like, must have been yeah. swamp gas. Yeah. I don't know what swamp gas looks like or whatever, but apparently but hey. it can be mistaken for UFOs. But yeah, it does seem like that would be odd. Yeah, I'd that say doesn't, so. Yeah. Now, the next uh, big uh, documented occurrence would be in 1979. Now, there's this uh, documentary called The Bridgewater Triangle, which I had not watched as of our last episode, but I did watch it in the meantime. Ah. And so I'm going to so go ahead and just... So it was for free on YouTube? 
it was um, on Amazon Prime, which I subscribe to because, you know, Fire Stick and uh, Delivery and... Yeah, know. yeah. So, not exactly for free, but... Mostly. But something where I didn't have to do an extra subscription to something. Because yeah, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't an extra. I've kind of drawn the line as far as those go. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. There's way too many out there. So I'm going to kind of just go off the transcript of the documentary for this next uh, segment. The spring of 1979 proved to be the most active period of documented UFO sightings in the history of the Bridgewater Triangle region. A number of news outlets and law enforcement agencies were flooded with reports of large, low-flying UFOs during that time. Former WHDH reporters Jerry Lopez and Steve Sprasha claimed to have witnessed what is arguably, arguably the most famous UFO sighting to occur within the Bridgewater Triangle. So, yeah, this guy, Steve Sprasha, and uh, his... A co-worker at the time, Jerry Lopez. So they were they were radio hosts at the time, and they saw a. They both saw this UFO, and so I'm going to go back. And I'm going to quote. This is what uh, Steve Sprasha had to say about his encounter. Jerry and I worked at WHDL Radio, and we were heading to the Raynham Dog Track, and we got onto the 106. I noticed in really a really bright light over the tree line and the light was coming closer and closer and getting bigger and bigger and i remember saying to jerry what is that over there so he pulled his vehicle over and all of a sudden the stars blotted out in the shape of an arrow as this thing passed overhead ironically being a baseball fan it looked like a baseball baseball home plate and there were a series of lights on it. So he had like kind of a, a like a wooden replica that he made from it. And it it's like a it's like home play or like if you were like drawing a very basic house, you would yeah, draw like, like a rudimentary house with like a square yeah, with a triangle uh, on the top. Yeah, square yeah. with the triangle on top. That's what it looked like. It was very, very wide, perhaps the width of five seven forty sevens wing to wing. It looked like it had a cord or something hanging off of it, and sparks were coming off of it. I almost feel like I could throw a rock at the thing. It seemed that close to me. For me, what first attracted me was this, and at this moment he's pointing to, uh, he, he put like a flashlight under his little like wooden replica, uh. but there was, a big, there was a big light on the, you know, underneath part of the spaceship. This light that kind of came into our field of vision. And as this thing passed overhead, it just kept coming and coming and coming and coming. And the light kept getting bigger and bigger. Now, Jerry is quoted to has said of the object, I'm an Air Force veteran. I've been in the Air Force for four and a half years. I've been around a number of different planes. And I said to Steve, that's not one that is ours. And it just hovered there for a minute. Looked like it was over a field. Next thing you know, it just took off. We continued off to the dog track, and most of the conversation that evening was, what did we see? Up to that point, I'd been 100% skeptic. I thought anybody who ever saw these things, they were either crazy or publicity hounds, or there was just something wrong with them in their head altogether. What I didn't realize at the time was that a lot more people had seen it. 
Steve goes on to pick up there and say that there, over the next few days, there was a number of sightings in lots of the papers about this same object. Another resident, Ron Baker, also told his story of um, seeing that same kind of house-shaped object uh, over the, the skies in southeastern Massachusetts at around the same time that Steve and Jerry had their UFO experience. So pretty crazy. I mean, these guys are like two like reporters and like, you know, Jerry's an Air Force veteran. And so these are these are pretty credible people. Right. They're not just like, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And so and uh, the two of them are in the car and then all of a sudden this thing is just like super low right over them with this big shining light. And it's just just obviously not something that is anything that we made <laughs> no so pretty crazy now in 1999 a resident named courtney cullen talked about what she feels was a ufo that she saw um while she was at a cook a cookout in bridgewater near lake near lake nippin nicket nippin nicket that's a hell of a name and that is also in the hockamuck swamp area those northeastern yeah. names are wild. Yeah, I know. And this is hilarious too. Now, this is this is what she what she said about it. So, quote: Suddenly there was this noise, wicked loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the wicked loud noise. A wicked loud noise. And next, there were these lights in the sky, no color, but just bright lights. They were descending fast, like coming straight at the house behind where we were at the cookout. And just as it seemed like the lights were going to crash into the house, they darted sideways at this unbelievable speed, and soon they just disappeared. What I also remembered is that soon after we saw the lights, more than one helicopter appeared in the sky in the area where the lights were, which that's pretty interesting. Yeah, like yeah. somebody was checking that shit out. Yes, exactly. That's my thoughts, exactly. Now, in the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, there is a video from a Raynham resident, Derek Holt, that he took in March of 2011. Uh, he kept seeing crazy lights in the sky, and so he actually bought a camera and recorded it at two different locations, huh. these lights. Now, the first one was above the Raynham dog track, which is where Steve Spraja and Jerry Lopez were heading uh, to, you know, cover probably to cover the dog races when they had yeah. their UFO encounter. So that's pretty crazy. And then the other one was taken um, at his friend's house in Raynham. Now the video that is shown, it definitely shows this like round white orb. And, and then it has like two small, much smaller orbs, like right next to it. Like they're all kind of connected and one seems like it's it's green and the other one seems like it's red and the, the camera is bouncing around a lot so it's kind of hard to tell the movement but it, it was definitely weird like what he right. saw like if i were seeing that um i would be thinking it's a goddamn ufo it's a fucking alien spaceship yeah not something that looks very uh terrestrial uh -uh. yeah it does not not at all so it, it's pretty crazy the video that he took and that was in 2011 right 
There are sightings like all over. I looked on Reddit some. There's sightings. Uh, there's a lot of sightings and stuff about Bridgewater Triangle paranormal activity out there on Reddit. Uh, the most recent UFO related post, though, is just from a month ago. December of 2021. Oh, wow. And this uh, Reddit user, uh, free to speak correctly, posted about a UFO encounter that he had. First, he posted like a picture of something he drew while he was like driving down um, uh, Route 140, and that's near Taunton, and Taunton is within the Bridgewater Triangle area. And then he uh, wrote this about the experience. Uh, I'm not a UFO person. This is the second time in a month I've seen something while driving on that road, that Route 140. For those that don't know, Route 140 is a fast highway, 65 to 80 miles an hour, depending on traffic, sometimes slow during peak hours. Sighting occurred around 4 p.m. while still light out. Weirdest thing is that it looked like a ball, but as I drove forward, it was like a fingernail or looked like the Chicago bean. Not quite sure what the Chicago bean looks like. But yeah, I'm not sure either. But yeah, he definitely saw something during the day in in daylight while driving down that that highway, uh, that Route 140. That was just that was just last month. Second time he'd seen it in a month. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, apparently it's a building that looks just like a bean, so oh. like a kidney bean. Okay. So instead of looking like the. Sh- Except the Chicago bean is is very is silver. It's like shiny, like chrome. So, but it is shaped like a kidney bean. Okay. So. So something that looked kind of like the Chicago bean. Yeah. So shiny and bean shaped, apparently. Yep. Yeah, not completely round. When he when he came upon it, it was more bean or fingernail shaped. So interesting. Yeah, that is lots interesting. of. Yeah, yeah, some pretty pretty crazy UFO sightings. And that bridge. I wonder. I wonder what makes that an area that they go to. I wonder if it's like Cardiff in in Doctor Who, where the TARDIS goes there because it's got some special energy there that it it uh, it, it needs to recharge on. So maybe it's the same way. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some sort of like weird natural phenomena we're unaware of that occurs in some of these areas that. Our UFO hotspots and the UFOs go there to go there to do because of its weird energy and yeah to get like, like fuel or whatever mm-hmm. could be could be there's def- there's definitely a weird energy going on in that area and there's a couple of theories behind uh, why that is and I'm gonna get into that in some future episodes future episodes about, yeah I want to talk about more what about a the, tease. the Bridgewater triangle i know i'm sorry it's, okay. there's just so much i want to be able to to kind of touch on each part of it that's there you go <laughs> oh well then how about we move on to uh ape war all right this is from discovermagazine.com why are chimpanzees and gorillas suddenly going to war an interspecies primate war may be unfolding before our eyes It's truly a wild time in the animal kingdom. Chimpanzees and gorillas have coexisted peacefully for many years. But in February of 2019, researchers were shocked to witness a vicious act of violence in Gabon's Luango National Park. 
The researchers from Onnesbruck University and the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology in Germany were studying the behavior of the chimpanzees in the national park when they observed when more than two dozen attacked five unprovoked western lowland gorillas, one silverback, three adult females, and an infant. I mean, I, I think they meant they attacked the, the, the five unprovokedly. They, they, just, they just attacked them. But it, it, Without any provocation. Yeah, it was just... No it, reason. It was worded weird there. The near-hour-long fight between, between the two groups cost the life of the infant gorilla, which was captured and beaten to death by the chimpanzees. Oh, uh, dude, chimpanzees are mean like that. They will, like, kill, like, baby things, like, rather viciously sometimes. Hey, they are, uh, I believe, the closest, our closest relatives, so... It They'll even not, kill their own babies, it yeah. It does not surprise me that they are absolutely brutal, because humans are the Suck, most brutal yeah. animal on the entire planet. This is true. You're not wrong. But yeah, yeah, they'll even kill their own babies. I think I read something um, well, a lot like of, about a like lot a school trip where like a chimpanzee like killed another like baby chimpanzee in front of a bunch of like little school children. Yes, yeah, this is what happens if you misbehave, kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was even more shocking when the traumatizing event repeated itself in December of that year in the same park in Central Africa. This time, 27 chimpanzees went up against seven gorillas in a fight that lasted about 79 minutes and resulted in another helpless infant gorilla being killed. It's unclear whether the same chimpanzees were also involved in the first incident. Regardless, the question of what caused these ruthless attacks remains. To get to the bottom of it, let's take a look at the rich history and relationship of these two species. An interspecies relationship gone sour. There's so much terminology out there to classify gorillas and chimpanzees. Ape, primate, great ape, monkey. That things can get confusing. Let's keep it simple. Both gorillas and chimpanzees are primates, a biological order of species that includes humans. Gorillas are the largest living primate, but don't let that fool you. These animals have been nicknamed gentle giants and typically live and move in small groups. The silverback, an adult male gorilla, leads the pack. Western lowland gorillas, a subspecies, primarily occupy the tropical rainforests of Central Africa, including in Luango National Park. The adult males in this region weigh an average of 300 pounds and can stand up to 6 feet tall. The adult females weigh an average of 150 to 200 and stand up to 4.5 feet tall. Chimpanzees aren't much different. Like gorillas, they occupy much of the tropical jungles in Africa, including Luango, and feed on similar items such as plants, fruits, or insects. Chimps are typically between 3 to 5.5 feet tall when standing upright. Males can weigh up to 154 pounds, while females can weigh 110 pounds. However, unlike their peace-loving primate relatives, aggression and violence is inherent among chimpanzees. In fact, male chimpanzees are often known to attack one another over territorial disputes. Research has shown chimp-on-chimp -chimp violence to be fairly common, suggesting that chimpanzees are predisposed to murder. A likely explanation may be the new territory often means more food and resources that may be scarce in certain regions. Yet, most of the aggression chimpanzees demonstrate have been directed to their own kind. Given the commonalities among chimpanzees and gorillas, 
The two primate species have been splitting territory, food, and resources peacefully for years. According to Simone Pica, a cognitive biologist at Onisbrook University, the two species have been regularly observed interacting peacefully in foraging trees and even playing with one another. However, the brutal attacks that took place in 2019 indicate that tension may be on the rise between the two groups. Gorilla Warfare They say sharing is caring, and many species in the animal kingdom abide by that rule. But what happens when livelihood is threatened? According to a new study conducted by the researchers who observed the violent encounters, competition over limited resources may have been a driving factor. With climate change on the rise and a decrease in fruit availability in Luango, the instinct observed in chim chimpanzees to fight over food and territory may have kicked in and incited the cruel acts. But why did the chimpanzees kill the infant gorillas? And will the violence continue? These questions remain unanswered. We are only beginning to understand the effects of competition on interactions between the two species in Luango, Pika said in a press release. Regardless of the underlying reason, it's safe to say that we must keep a watchful eye, lest we have a full-blown interspecies primate war on our hands. Which is probably our fucking fault anyway, because we're destroying all their territory yes. and destroying the environment that they live in, so they don't have any excuse but to fight with the other people that are on their level. What, are they going to fight us? We got guns. No, they're not going right. to fucking fight us. So they're going to take out their peace-loving giants. Because Although, you know what? I have to say, when it comes to human versus chimpanzee, chimpanzees fucking win. Like, you know, if you oh, don't Oh, in a hand-to-hand? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. hand-to-hand, dude. Oh, in chimpanzees will fuck you up. They, like, rip people's faces off. That one in lady, like, had her fucking face bitten off and, like, both of her hands, too. Dude, we talked about hands. that one guy that one time. Him and his wife went into the place and the guy got, like, his ass bitten off and one of his testicles bitten off and his face ripped apart and, like, she, like, lost yeah. a thumb or, like, something. It was a fucking wild-ass thing. Yeah. I don't remember when we talked about that. I think that was a really long time ago, but I, I yeah. know we did. But chimpanzees, yeah, they can fuck a person up. Like I said, they, they're very... Humans and chimpanzees are very similar, and humans are violent and dangerous. And so... Why would we expect anything but the closest thing to us to also be violent and dangerous? Yes. Makes perfect sense to me. Well, I think the last thing we have here is space-related. This comes from BBC.com. Australia's scientists find spooky spinning object in Milky Way. Australian scientists say they have discovered an unknown spinning object in the Milky Way that they claim is unlike anything seen before. The object, first discovered by a university student, has been observed to release a huge burst of radio energy for a full minute every 18 minutes. Objects that pulse energy in the universe are often documented, but researchers say something that turns on for a minute is highly unusual. The team is working to understand more. The object was first discovered by Curtin University honors student Tyrone O'Doherty in a region of the Western Australia outback known as Murchison Widefield Array, using a telescope and a new technique he had developed. Mr. O'Doherty was part of a team led by astrophysicist Dr. Natasha Hurley Walker from the Curtin University of the International Center for Radio Astronomy Research, ICRAR. It was appearing and disappearing over a few hours during our observations, 
She was quoted as saying in a media release from the ICRAR that documented the discovery. That was completely unexpected, and it was kind of spooky for an astronomer because there's nothing known in the sky that does that. Objects that turn on and off in the universe are not new to astronomers. They call them transients. But an object that turned on for a full minute was really weird. ICRAR curtain astrophysicist Dr. Gemma Anderson was quoted as saying in the release. ICRAR added that after trawling back through years of data, the team was able to establish the object is about 4,000 light years from Earth, is incredibly bright, and has an extremely strong magnetic field. Theories around what the object might be include a neutron star or a white dwarf, a term used for the remnants of a collapsed star. However, much of the discovery remains a mystery. More detections will tell astronomers whether this was a rare one-off event or a vast new population we've never noticed before, Dr. Hurley Walker said. I'm looking forward to understanding this object and extending the search to find more. Just more fucking crazy shit in the universe. Just gonna turn on for a minute and then turn back off. And then 18 minutes later, turn on for a minute and turn back off. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, that's not, like they like it said there, that's like, that's, that's very uncommon. Yeah. Very rare. Like, that's fucking wild shit. So, hey, maybe it's uh, Oumuamua, like, coming back and and flashing some shit at us. Who knows? It could be. Who knows? Because that's really all we saw. I mean, that, all that, uh, when we talked about that on that episode, that, um, you know, the the drawings of it are just basically, like, that's what they think it is, but based on the, like, flashing, like, the, you know light and lack of light and how long it, the, you know, all the calculations that they made based off of that, that's what they think the, it looked like, but we don't know for sure, and who knows what was causing that shit out there, but Nobody. I think I think based on, uh, you know, like all the UFO sightings that have been, I mean, there, there's definitely something out there. There's uh, this particular there, there's something thing else out was, there. was reported on about 18 hours ago. That's crazy. So, so that's, pretty recent. Uh, that's very recent. That would have been uh, on January 26, 2022. Well, I guess it was in Australia, so it'd be today, but yesterday. Because they're in the future. So yes. it would have been Australia time the 27th. <laughs> At any rate, I think that's all we have for you today. It is. Real quick, um, my sources for my UFO um, sightings are reddit.com, www.bostonmagazine.com, www.wcvb.com, an article called Tales from the Swamp from archive.boston.com, and the 2013 documentary Bridgewater Triangle. Well, you can check us out at the social media sites we're at. We're Stranger Than Podcast or Stranger Than uh, Facebook, Instagram. We're really not very active on social media. We're kind of, kind of sorry, but also kind of not <laughs> sorry. Uh, you can find our Patreon, patreon.com slash Stranger Than Podcast, where for $1 a month, if we ever see you, you will get a crisp high five. For $2 a month, you get ad-free episodes. And for $5 a month, you get a bonus true crime episode in addition to your ad-free episodes. You can check out the podcast syndicate we're a part of, ageofradio.org. Our part of that is ageofradio.org slash stranger than, where you can listen to our podcast. 
stream it there. It'll be fine. Um, you can also look at uh, all the other multitude of podcasts on the uh, within the syndicate. They're all lovely and wonderful. And there's goods available as well if you wish to purchase goods on that website. Send us your stories. We want to hear your stories because we want to read your stories because your stories are lovely and you're lovely. You can send your stories to strangerthanpodcast at gmail.com. That could be aliens, um, werewolves, black-eyed children, uh, shadow people, UFOs. Do you live in the Bridgewater Triangle? Are you friends with the Puck Wedgie? Let us fucking know. Uh, <laughs> we want to read your stories. We don't have to say your name. Or we can say your name or we can make up a name. It doesn't matter to us. We just want your stories because your stories are lovely. And I think that's all we got for you this time. So. Uh, I guess we'll talk to you next time. And stay strange. Whoa.